this audio is going to cover an introduction to reproduction um, to help kind of guide some of your studying and highlight some of the key points in general with reproduction. Um, as far as studying goes, I would suggest just because of the volume of this um, concept that you um, take a look at the NCLEX success book. It abbreviates things uh, very well for a nurse generalist perspective. Um, but then you're also going to need your maternal health book to kind of help elaborate on some things um, and get a little bit more detail, especially on our specific exemplars that we'll cover. As far as the pregnancy and labor exemplar, we're going to go through all of the trimesters of pregnancy and highlight specific things to look at during those trimesters. And then, of course, focus on the labor and then, of course, once the baby is born, focus on some newborn care. So those are probably going to be some areas um, that you'll want to use your maternal health book to research a little bit more in depth. Uh, for a lot of your prep work, um, you're going to notice that you're going to be doing quite a few tables, and I would use your NCLEX success book to help you fill out some of those tables. And then, like I said, use your maternal health book to fill in the gaps and get a little bit more detail wherever needed. On Blackboard, there are some great videos under the toolbox, and then there are already some videos in mnemonics available in the From Your Professor folder that you definitely should watch. Um, some of those go through Nagel's Rule, which is what we need to use on how to, to determine how or when the baby's due date is. And then there's also some rules for um, GTPAL, um, which is something that you'll hear in reference to um, when you're on the OB unit and how we refer to you know the number of pregnancies mom has had, the number of births, and so on. Um, and then check out those mnemonics, some very helpful ways to help you uh, remember some of the interventions and assessments used during the concept of reproduction. So when we think of the term reproduction, of course we should be thinking about how a human being is, is produced. Um, so thinking back to some things that you've already learned and with the, the egg and the sperm join and so on. So we're not going to cover a whole lot of that because you should have some familiarity with how that happens. Um, but then looking at the scope of it. So someone could, um, someone's either pregnant or not pregnant. But if you're not pregnant, it's either by choice or not by choice. If you do get pregnant, um, it's, it's the same thing. It's either something that you planned or it's unplanned. Thinking about the um, wanting to get pregnant, um, you know, you're not pregnant, but it's not by choice. Um, so that involves some different reproductive issues. We won't get into that a whole lot as far as infertility goes. I'm going to mention it just briefly here, especially because I've had some good friends who have experienced this to, to give you a little bit of background on infertility. And I'm sure a lot of this you've heard and just in your normal everyday lives in the news and movies that you watch um, or even shows that you watch with people that have dealt with infertility. Um, so I do have good friends who um, had infertility issues and my friend was actually born without a uterus um, and they thought for the longest time that she didn't have any eggs um, and then when they were really really wanting to have kids they ended up going to the doctor and finding out that she did have quite a few viable eggs um, so they went through the route of having um, a surrogate carry their child um, and it you know has the, their own DNA 
Um, so it was actually a pretty cool scenario, but the downside to that is the expense of it. Um, we did several different um, fundraisers to help them fund this. I mean, you have to pay the person who's going to be the surrogate. You have to pay lawyers. I mean, it in all the whole health care process and when they're in the hospital. And uh, so there's a lot of expense involved. And I think that takes an emotional toll on people who are trying to get pregnant and, and are not able to. Things like in vitro, um, where they artificially um, um, they artificially take the sperm and the egg and they can put it in a, a petri dish and, and have the whole process take place and then they implant the, um, the zygote into the mom or the, the uterus. Um, there's different stages that you can do in vitro. Um, some think that others, some think that there are more natural ways, like because you can implant it in the uterus or you can implant the sperm and the egg in the fallopian tube and let that process take place naturally. So there's different levels of in vitro um, that, you know, some, some may want a more natural route, at least as natural as they can get. Um, and that may be how some parents choose uh, which way they want to do in vitro. Um, and then as far as if you become pregnant and it's unplanned versus planned. So with the unplanned pregnancy, of course, we're worried about, you know, what has this mom been, been doing, you know, however long, however so many months or weeks that they, they haven't known that they were pregnant. You know, is there medications they've been on, drugs or alcohol? Um, if you can think back to when we talked about fetal alcohol syndrome with cognition, that most of the really serious development takes place within those first few weeks of an embryo developing, that a lot of times women do not know that they're pregnant, and then there's risks involved in that. Um, so having those discussions with women just to be careful and um, using protection or avoiding things that could harm the baby, like drugs and alcohol. And then the emotional toll that takes place on someone who has an unplanned pregnancy. Financial considerations is something else we would want to think about, which kind of rolls into the emotional toll that it could have on them. Um, as far as contraceptions, contraceptives go, we're not going to get into a lot of detail on this either. It's not one of our exemplars, but one of the big things I think of with contraceptives is the different types. So if we're talking to um, a mom or a couple about how to prevent pregnancy, there's different options. I'm sure you've seen even commercials for these. I mean, they could take the pill, there's a patch, there's a shot, there's the IUDs, which are intrauterine devices. Um, each one has, you know, some positives and negatives, so we would help the mom research that and figure out wh what would be best for them. With oral um, contraceptives, um, you know, are they going to remember to take it? That's why some opt for the intrauterine device. Thinking about um, the risk for blood clots that can come when someone's on contraceptives. Um, smoking and contraceptive use is not um, a good thing to do because that increases your risk of blood clots even more. I actually remember taking care of a patient who, this is why they were in the hospital, was to get heparin IV because they were smoking and on oral contraceptives. So that would be some education that we would do. Um, other things to think about is backup contraception. 
there are some medications, especially antibiotics, that pretty much void the effectiveness of your contraceptive. So let's say you're taking care of a patient who gets an infection and they have to be on an antibiotic. You have to educate them on the fact that if they're on contraceptives that those aren't going to work. So they want to use a backup method. Um, like, you know, using a condom would be a backup method that we could advise them on while they're um, on the course of that antibiotic. Um, so as far as other important aspects to consider just in general with reproduction, um, you know, once someone does get pregnant, then we are really concerned about, of course, not only mom now, but baby and the development of baby. And that's why mom has to have these um, visits you know, during this, um, this, uh, the antepartum period is we need mom to come in so often and as pregnancy is, or I'm sorry, as labor is Im imminent, um, it's going to happen soon, then mom's going to have to come in more frequently. We're going to do things like ultrasounds, we're going to listen to the heartbeat, because um, those are going to tell us how baby is doing. Now, if a mom has a very healthy pregnancy, she won't have or she doesn't have any high risks to have complications then there won't be ultrasounds at every visit uh, because there's no need to expose the baby to that um, but if mom is high risk then they will do those more often or if a complication develops they will do those more often when i was pregnant with my daughter i started bleeding at uh, around 11 weeks and that's why they decided to do an ultrasound because we need to know that the baby's doing okay because you're having an unexpected complication and luckily everything ended up being fine um, but you know you'll probably notice in some of your books some different charts about the development um, and we will highlight in class or in some audios about some big things to pick up like big pieces of development. I do not by any means expect you to memorize every single thing that happens every single week. You know, when, when a mom gets pregnant she gets excited about that. There's all these apps that we can, oh you know this is happening at this week. Uh, we don't have to memorize all of those but we will highlight some of the major ones that would really affect the baby if something was going on. Um, so in those first two weeks um, it's it's really it's called a like a it, it's a zygote and then it turns into a blastocyst um, and then an actual embryo is three to eight weeks so the embryonic development is three to eight weeks and again this is a very vital time this is where we can see those neural tube defects happen and something that's key in helping prevent those is folic acid so moms will be taking uh, folic acid or a prenatal supplement that has many many things in it including higher doses of folic acid to help avoid um, neural tube defects. Ideal, if someone's of childbearing age, they should be taking folic acid supplement um, just in case they get pregnant and have an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, I remember reading some research articles because um, I, I noticed when my friend and I were pregnant at the same time, I had very limited to no um, morning sickness and I was taking prenatal vitamins for months and months and months because this was a planned pregnancy um, and my friend had a, an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't taking those and had horrible horrible uh, morning sickness and I actually read an article that was talking about how um, somehow having you know that those vitamins minerals in your body could help reduce the risk of morning sickness and, and for me it worked I don't think there's anything really proven with that but um, 
above all else, they need the folic acid to help reduce the, the chances of neural tube defects like spina bifida. Um, and then after eight weeks, the baby becomes a fetus. That's what we, we would refer it to a fetus after eight weeks. And then, of course, development continues um, throughout the entire pregnancy. Uh, another big piece of development is the the lungs. You know, when the of course the heart is important too, by all means. But um, when we're thinking about people who are getting near the end, um, some you know we talk about some preterm labor before that 37 week mark, they would be considered preterm. Well between 24 and 34 things are starting to develop in the lungs so if if they're if the baby's at risk for coming and it's earlier than 34 weeks then they're going to be given things to help protect the lungs to help stop the the labor and we'll get more into that um, in, in class so th th those would be things that we're looking at as far as development and the risks you know what if baby was born at this time what could happen you know what's supposed to be developing at this time during pregnancy there's different tests that you can do um, to see if, if mom, or I'm sorry, if baby's going to have some type of developmental or chromosomal abnormalities. Um, some are more invasive than others. Some are just a blood test, like the maternal serum alpha fetal protein test. Um, it's not definitive by any means, but it's a blood test that mom could choose to do. Um, I think it's like around, I want to say like 16 weeks is when they usually do that test. And it would give mom and dad an idea of, you know, your baby may have this, um, but it's, yeah, it's not definitive. Something like an amniocentesis or chorionic villi sampling, those are more definitive, but they're also more invasive. So there's a lot more risks involved. Um, but those would be some conversations that you might have to have with mom and dad if they're interested in having that. Maybe there's, you know, um, some genetic reasons why they might want to have the more invasive route done. Um, a lot of emotional support with the, this concept in uh, taking care of or you know treating mom and dad uh, during this time frame. There's just so many things that you don't know that are unexpected, and so many things that are out can out of your control when we're talking about you know having a baby. So being there as far as support and emotion um, is is pretty key. Um, real quick, I just want to run through a little bit of the pharmacology. We'll go into more depth as we pick up on things, but I'm just looking at the relevant pharmacology list um, and I see some things here. Um, mom, mom might be on some analgesics, you know, you could have some pain during labor if you can believe it or not. Um, so, you know, different analgesics, it could be something as simple as, as Tylenol, um, and, and Tylenol might be something you use like post-labor um, if mom has like a tear or something. Uh, but yet yeah, during labor, um, there's some pain involved. We try to minimize the pain medicine we give. Just don't want to hurt, hurt baby or cause any um, respiratory depression with baby. Uh, but there could be some things like a, um, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the epidural. So mom might get an epidural to help with pain. Uh, but the thing with an epidural is it could it could slow down labor a little bit because mom's getting more comfortable, not going to have the strength and the desire to push as well with an epidural. So there's, there's positives and negatives to it. Um, antibiotics. So we could use antibiotics if mom has an infection, of course, if of any kind. So there's a whole list of antibiotics there. You know, considering, you know, the antibiotic safe for baby um, would be something to consider. When babies are born, they're actually given antibiotics, uh, the erythromycin, because they're at risk for infection going through the birth canal. 
Um, antidepressants, so we talked about postpartum depression um, when we talked about mood and effect. So we might also have mom on an antidepressant, like an SSRI is the one that's the most safe, um, especially if mom wants to breastfeed. Um, Antiemetics, so mom might have morning sickness, really severe morning sickness, actually has a technical term, it's called hyperemesis gravidum. Um, and something like ondansetron, which is Zofran, is used for that. It's a really, um, really good drug because there's not a lot of side effects and it's pretty safe for baby. Um, so they might use ondansetron, uh, something mom can take on a daily basis. And then promethazine, which is also Phenergan, the, the downside to that is that it can be sedating. So we have to be careful with promethazine. Folic acid, we talked about folic acid, is very important as far as preventing neural tube defects. Ideally, mom should be taking that throughout the whole pregnancy or even before getting pregnant if it's a planned pregnancy. Uh, ferrous sulfate or iron, mom might have low uh, red blood cells during uh, pregnancy. There's, um, or even baby might have problems with um, red blood cells, iron after or when it's born, so we could see that given. If mom's taking iron during pregnancy, we have to be careful as far as the constipation it causes. That's the thing I always remember about iron. No matter if you're taking it for pregnancy or something else that's causing your red blood cells to lower. Um, so education on how to prevent constipation would be key. Flu vaccines would be important. Um, we don't want mom to get sick, so any kind of vaccine that mom could get that is safe for baby as far as being an inactive vaccine. We don't want it to be a live vaccine because that wouldn't be safe for baby. So your flu vaccine, um, I think they were making sure that I was up on my hepatitis vaccine. And then I think I remember getting the whooping cough vaccine as well. And anyone that was going to be around the baby was uh, suggested to get whooping cough. Laxative stool softeners, whether you're on iron or not, you could get constipated. Uh, especially after birth, being if it was a vaginal delivery or even with a C-section, just from the pain, you could get constipated. Um, and we'll talk about meg sulfate when we talk about um, preeclampsia and its use to help slow down um, or to help prevent seizures. And we'll talk about tocolytics and their use to, s to slow down labor. Um, we're also going to talk about oxytocin, which is actually going to help progress labor. So it does the opposite of a tocolytic. Um, and then we'll also talk about um, progesterone. Sometimes mom has to be on extra hormones if she has low hormone levels to help with the pregnancy. And Rogam or RHO immune globulin. Um, that is if mom has RH incompatibility. Um, and we will talk about that because I actually had that and I'll give you a great example of that. Hope hopefully this was a good summary of things to look forward to for reproduction. Again, it's a very huge concept. Uh, but we can help narrow that down and use some of our resources to really help us hit the highlights and the key points.